Before we get started tonight, uh, just a couple of things. Uh, one, we do appreciate everybody coming out to uh, kind of celebrate Mike. We are truly, truly going to miss him. And um, I know we are in the office. He is, uh, we go out to lunch just about every day, uh, him and Chris and myself, and uh, always have a lot of fun, a lot of good times. So uh, we got him one more week to aggravate and antagonize him for one more week. So uh, we're going to miss him. We really are. And uh, I'm just praying he wears that pretty jacket one more time in the office. I'm just, uh, yeah, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. So, uh, no, I just, we praise the Lord. Mike is, um, he's one of a kind. I'll just say that. Uh, one of the kindest, sweetest men I've ever met. And um, he loves people. And uh, so we're going to miss that. We really are going to miss him. And, uh, of course, he, we, he's already told me, he said, I'll see you every Wednesday. And it took me a second to realize he meant Wits Wednesday. So uh, <clears throat> all that weight I'm losing, I'm getting ready to put back on in barbecue. So, uh, mm. But also, uh, second thing, we wanted to, uh, my wife and I wanted to thank you. Uh, you guys have been praying for us uh, since we got here. Uh, we got an offer on our house, and we're supposed to sign a contract tonight on the sale of our home. So thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> we appreciate you guys praying for us. Uh, it's been a long journey, but we uh, are truly thankful to the Lord for God blessing us. And uh, we've been looking at houses, so we think we finally found the one we want. And uh, so we made an offer on it, so hopefully they'll accept our offer, and, and we're, we're here. So we're, we're excited. We're happy. And, uh, but we just... We just want to thank you guys so much for praying for us. It has been a blessing. Uh, so many people have asked us all the time, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And we just want you to know thank you from the bottom of our hearts for praying for us. Uh, we have just truly been blessed. So, all right, well, let's get into God's Word tonight. If you've got your copy of God's Word, open up to Nehemiah uh, chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. And I'm going to tell you, I, <clears throat> to me, uh, I think it's always important to carry the Word of God with you. It's uh, so important to have this book before you. Uh, I, I just, I love having the Bible with me. Uh, in fact, one of the things, that's pretty much what we're going to talk about tonight is how important the Word of God is for us uh, in our daily lives. Now, you think about this, uh, spiritual disciplines that are needed for the Christian life. A lot of people don't think about this, but there are certain disciplines that we need. Now, when we think about discipline, though, most of the time we, we think of that there's a negative form of it and then there's a positive form of it. When we think about discipline, most of us are thinking about when our parents used to take us out back and wear us good, you know, just wear us out. Uh, usually when we think of discipline, that's the form we think of. We think of punishment that comes about because we've done something wrong. There's a second form of discipline, and that's the one we're talking about. And these are measures to where we discipline ourselves to do the right things. In other words, we keep things out of our life that are not necessary. There are things that we do, procedures that we take in order to discipline ourselves to be more godly or to be more like Christ. And there are certain disciplines that as Christians that we ought to be doing on a consistent basis uh, one of those things is meditation. Now, it's interesting because when I use the word meditation, the first thing that people begin to think about is they begin to think about yoga, right? You guys think I'm going to get down and do my Indian style and put my hands up and go, yom, right? That's the first thing that people think of. But here's the truth of the matter. Meditation was hijacked by Eastern religions. It was hijacked. Meditation was in the Bible long before Buddhism was ever founded. 
Okay, so we have the term meditation long before that. Their form of meditation is to empty oneself out. In other words, to empty oneself completely out so you enter a state of nirvana and eventually can arise to the Buddha. All right, but that's not what meditation means. In fact, the meditation we're talking about is a meditation that is actually filling oneself up. In other words, it is filling yourself up with the Word of God so that you become more like the Word of God tells you to be like. And so that's the kind of meditation we're talking about. That is a spiritual discipline that is needed for the Christian life. We talk about it. That's why I emphasize reading through the Bible together as a church. I love that format that's on Facebook. If you're reading through the Bible, we're trying to put little things on there. I love it when other people are putting things on there about what God spoke to them that day. We want to keep each other accountable because we need to be reading the Word of God daily. Daily. All right. The second thing is prayer. Prayer is so important. What we don't realize, we ought to be doing prayer daily. Now, here's the thing. Some of y'all be like, well, I do pray daily. I pray before I eat, right? You know, how many of you have graduated beyond God is great, God is good, right? I hope so. Some of y'all are like, well, we let the kids pray for the meals. That's, all, that's good. That's all well and fine. But there better be more prayer times than your food. There better be more prayer time than when you lay your head down at night and you say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It needs to be something more. There needs to be a point where you're calling out to God. You're making requests to God, but you're also thanking God for the things that he's done in your life. Prayer needs to be vital to the Christian life. Number three, evangelism. Man, we need to be about evangelism. We need to be about sharing and telling people about Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, if, if you don't practice it, if you get out of practice of sharing the gospel with people, guess what will happen? You won't share. You'll get out of it. You'll stop doing it. I love sharing the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, if you've ever been afraid to talk to somebody, I can show you the most simplistic way to open up a door to share the gospel with somebody. It's called using tracks. And we used to use these. It was through the way of the master. It was these optical illusion tracks. It was so easy. Even my daughter was using it when she was about six years old. We'd go into a restaurant, and they were these little red and blue cards. And one card, the way they were curved, one looked bigger than the other. And she would go, and I had taught her how to use these. And so we go into a restaurant one time. We're at Golden Corral, and she goes, which one's bigger? And the guy goes, the blue one. She swapped them. She goes, which one's bigger now? And he goes, the red one. She swapped them out. She goes, which one's bigger now? He goes, the blue one. How did you do that? She goes, all right daddy now go you know so I mean that was the thing I mean she she would start the conversation out and I just finished with the gospel and that's the thing it's so simple and all I would simply say to him is just as your eyes can deceive you so can your heart so do you think you're a good person and it would lead right into sharing the gospel with them they could never refuse a little child holding up those little cords. I mean, she had them hook, line, and sinker every time. But we got to get into the business of sharing the gospel consistently. Serving is another discipline. We need to be about using our gifts that God has given to us. Now, a whole bunch of you came up and got those uh, spiritual gift inventory tests. I'm waiting to hear back. I'm waiting to hear back from you. You want to know? I think some of y'all are afraid. Some of y'all are afraid to bring it back up to me and go, well, brother, you know, uh, this, is, this is my gift, but uh, I don't really like this gift. I'd like another one. Could I have a second chance? Could I get a second opinion on it? Here's the thing. You've got a gift. God has a place that he wants to use you. God has a place that he wants you to serve in. You've got to use that gift to glorify God. If you're not, you're just going to set it on the side, and guess what? Then we're, we're missing you. We're missing you where you need to be. We want, to use, we want to see you be used. We want to see you be serving. Another discipline that we need and a consistency in our Christian lives is repentance. Repentance. Now, this is something that, let's just be honest, I mean, 
Many of us don't know how to repent. Uh, I just, repentance is so simple. It is admitting what you've done wrong and turning from it. But you see, one of the biggest issues we have is we try to throw a cover over repentance. And I'm going to be honest with you. I used to do this when I was younger, and this will, this will actually hurt you. This will not help you. But I would sit there and I'd pray about a few things that I remembered, and then I would say, okay, God, I need you to forgive me for everything that I've forgotten. Well, how did I repent? I didn't. Because repentance is admitting what you've done wrong and turning from it. And if I'm saying, please forgive me for everything I've forgotten, how am I admitting it and how am I turning from it? I'm just trying to cover it. And God doesn't cover sin. God removes sin. So we have to repent. we got to be about confessing our sin. That's why sometimes I'll sit down and say, God, search out my heart. Please open up something. If, I, if there's some way I've sinned and I don't even realize it, please bring it to my attention. And man, he can bring up a list, and it's not always pretty. But I'm so glad that he does so that I can remove that from my life. Repentance is so important. How about worship? Worship is a discipline. It is. Let me tell you something. You're not going to worship like you need to on Sunday if you're not worshiping Monday through Saturday. And I'm serious, you're not. If you're out there listening to uh, all that mess that's on the radio that's singing about everything but the Lord, I'm here to tell you, then you come into church and try to sing the music that the Lord has, wants you to sing, it's going to be a little tough. You're going to sit back and go, well, they just don't have the beat that my music does. You know, or, man, I kind of like the message of my music. Well, I like the message of my music. How about that? Well, it's not even my music, it's his music. But you think about this. The truth of the matter is, if you're not worshiping God throughout the week, man, it's going to be real hard to come in here and truly worship him. It's going to be hard to truly come in here and exalt him. Worship is a discipline that needs to be happening consistently in your life. All right, I'm gonna, here's, here's another one. I know you're going to love this one. Fasting. Some of y'all said, brother, you just crossed the line. <laughs> right? You, you done crossed the line. I'm good with everything you just said, but man, you start taking away my food. Now we got a problem. But fasting is a spiritual discipline that we need, all right? And, and it's a spiritual discipline because what it says is it says to God, I'm serious about this matter that I'm praying about. If it's a matter of repentance, you're asking God to seriously help remove that sin from your life. If it's a matter of needing to know the will of God, you're telling God, I'm serious. I'll do anything. I need to hear from you. I need to know your direction. I need you to move in my life. If you're, it, these are things that when fasting becomes a part of it, it increases your aptitude to pray and seek the face of God. And it shows God the seriousness of your desire. All right. Last one, and then we'll move on in the scripture. Giving. That's a discipline. Man, it, it's a disciplined thing to put a check and offering plate, ain't it? That's a discipline, all right? Now, I'm going to tell you, it's a discipline for a couple reasons. Number one, it's a discipline to say, you know what, God, you've asked for 10%. 10%. Now, that's a discipline. Now, I'm just going to tell you this much. I can just be honest with you for a moment. God can do more with the 90% that he gives to me than I can with 100% on my own. He's proven that time and time again. But I also know this, i got to give with a cheerful heart. I get excited that I get to give to the Lord. I mean, I get excited about it. But I'm going to tell you, man, not everybody gets excited. You ever seen that guy that's holding on to that envelope? Like, you know, the offering plate's being passed, and he's, ah! You know, he just kind of has to slam it in there because he don't want to let it go. There are people, man, we got to have a cheerful heart when it comes to giving. I look at that, and I say, thank you, God, that I can give back to you. Because the truth is, if God really wanted to, he owns everything, so everything I have is his in the first place, and he could ask for 100%, and that's what I'm supposed to give if that's what he wants. 
but he only asked for 10%. Now, if you want to give above and beyond that, that's called, a, that's called an offering. That's called being blessed. That's called knowing who's got your life in your hands and doing what God's calling you to do. That, that's completely up to you. But these are the spiritual disciplines that God has called us to. Tonight, what we're going to look at is two disciplines that Nehemiah tried to reestablish in Israel. There were two things that Nehemiah wanted to bring back into the people of Israel because he understood they had the walls were rebuilt, there was a conspiracy still going in the city, but they needed more than walls. They needed something that went beyond walls. Nehemiah knew that they needed a solid foundation spiritually. And so when we come to this point, we see two disciplines he's trying to reenact in the land of Israel. The first one is he has resolved to meditate. Look with me in chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Now this is interesting because this is the Ezra that comes from the book of Ezra. He was the priest. Ezra was there in the land. Nehemiah has now got the walls built up. They have the security. But of all things they need, they now need the spiritual realities being built in the lives of the people. He knows that he's got to go above and beyond. And he tells him, he says, I want you to bring the book of the law. Now, understand that the law of Moses, the book of the law of Moses, is the first five books of the Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I want you to bring those books, and I want you to read them. Now, to be honest with you, in the book of the law, it was established that the law was to be read every seven years. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 10 to 13, it says this. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel has come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Now, could you imagine how long that would take? Now, they would read five entire books of the Bible. That's a long service, wouldn't you agree? I mean, how many of y'all have read Genesis? Genesis is 50 chapters. That's a really long book. Now, you've got to add on top of that the 40 chapters of Exodus. You've got to add on top of that the 27 chapters of Leviticus. You've got to add on their numbers and Deuteronomy. And so you're talking, it probably took almost an entire day where they sat down and they read the entirety of the book of the law of Moses. And they had to do it every seven years. Could you imagine dragging your kids to that service? Dragging your teenagers to that service without cell phones, without coloring during the services. And they got to sit there and listen to a guy read from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34. Reading all of those verse, verse by verse to the people, and everybody's supposed to sit there and listen. Now, some of y'all are sitting here already, you're going, (sighs) right? You're thinking to yourself, man, I I couldn't imagine. Y'all have a hard enough time. We're just reading 18 verses tonight, all right? But you're talking a massive amount. But here's the thing. Nehemiah understood they needed that foundation built back in their lives. They were supposed to study the book of the law consistently within their own lives. They needed to know the law so that they didn't break the laws. Nowadays, people look past the first five books like, hey, I don't need to read beyond, you know, I'm going to go to the New Testament. This was so important. It established their faith in God. And so they continuously read it. 
Can I tell you one of the, the greatest travesties to Christianity is our biblical illiteracy. It is our biblical illiteracy. You say, well, what do you mean? Because here's the truth of the matter. Could you imagine a day if they ever took our Bibles away from us? How much would we know? How much would we honestly know if all of a sudden the government decided to come in and confiscate the Word of God from our lives? You say, well, that'll never happen. Well, it has in many countries. The Bible is illegal in many countries. If we tried to take Bibles into certain countries, if they found them in our suitcases, they would confiscate them. So what do they have to do? They have to hide the Word of God in their heart. The problem is, is how many of us would be littered enough in the Word of God that we would have a lot of God's Word hid in our heart, that we wouldn't have to have the book. We could sit down and write out so many scriptures that God has already given to us. But biblical illiteracy is happening all the time. People will say, this is something that kills me, you know, people will make statements and I'm sitting there going, that's not in the Bible. You know, I've heard somebody make a statement. They said, well, cleanliness is next to godliness. And I'm like, where is that? That's a Chinese proverb, not the Bible. You know, they'll make statements like that. Or even better yet, they might be able to quote the Bible, but they will misquote it to say what they want it to say. You know, everybody knows Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest ye be judged. But you got to understand it in its context. The idea there is what he's telling us to do is you don't judge the unbeliever. And he said, then if you're going to go to your brother who's got a speck in his eye and you got a plank in your eye, you're going to beat him in the head with your sin. First remove the plank from your eye. Then what? He says, then you can go and remove the speck. But people go, well, that's judgment. No, it's not. It's helping your brother deal with sin. Because the finish of that is don't cast your pearls before swine. In other words, we're not called to correct unbelievers, but we do need to correct believers after our lives have been corrected and cleaned up. But you see, biblical illiteracy would say, judge not, lest ye be judged. That's not what it's about. Or one of my other favorite verses that is misused all the time. This one drives me nuts. Evangelists will come in and they'll say where two or three are gathered in his name. That is the most misused verses in Scripture. The most misused verses in Scripture. You want to know what? I can be by myself and God is gathered there with me. I don't need two or three. Those verses are about church discipline. That's all it's about. That means if we are disciplining somebody and we've taken the steps of Matthew 18, we've gone to that person, they've refused it. We've gone with two or three others, they've refused it. We've brought them before the church, they refuse to repent. We cast them out. That's what Scripture says. And then God says, I am in the midst of your decision. It's as if I did it myself. That's what that verse is about. Could you imagine if we really read that in its context and somebody gets there and goes, where two or three are gathered in his name. Oh, good, we're kicking somebody out. That's not what we want to say, is it? No, what we're trying to say is, well, we're praying that God's here with us, and the Scripture says God's here with us. Well, He is here with us if we're in the Spirit of God and living in the Word of God and we're worshiping the true God. Whether it's by ourselves, two or three, or a thousand, it does not matter. Biblical illiteracy is killing the church. And you say, well, why would that happen? In Hosea 4, 6, he talks about this biblical illiteracy. He talks about there may be a day where the Word of God is what? There's a famine of the Word of God. Man, could you imagine when, if there was a famine of the Word of God? Would we be okay with that? I'm here to tell you, we're seeing it more and more with some churches where they're not preaching the truths of God. They're preaching their own version of it. 
We're seeing it where more and more churches where pastors are getting up and they don't even carry the word of God into the pulpit and they preach a little sermonette for the Christianette. It's happening. We have to be resolved to meditate in the word of God. But look at it. He goes on in verse 2. He says, And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. This took place during a feast called the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets was a feast of celebration. How cool is that? A feast of celebration, and they're feasting on the Word of God. But he goes on in verse 3. He says, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. All right. They met at six in the morning and went to noon. A six-hour service. Who's for it? I got two hands. All right. I just A third one kind of reluctantly went, well, if I have to, brother... Six hours. Now, get this. It wasn't preaching. It was just reading the Word of God. A lot of people say, well, would reading the Word of God, would that be? Yes. You don't realize the Word of God is really all we need. God, can, We could read this book, and I promise you it's better than my preaching. I can promise you the Word of God is enough because God says His Word will not come back void. It will do exactly what God intended it to do. Verse 4, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mahathiah and Shammai and Ananiah and Urzai and Hilkiah and Messiah. And on the right and on his left hand stood Padiah, Mishael, Malachi, and Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is a scripture that a lot of people look at and they say, Isn't this where a lot of pastors get the idea that when you read the Word of God, you're supposed to stand up when you read it? Well, could you imagine if every time I read a verse of Scripture, how many times you'd be standing up? We'd be jazzercising in church, wouldn't we? You'd be like, oh, there's another one. Get up. Oh, back down. Oh, there's another one. Stand up. Get back down. They would do that out of reverence. They would. They would do it out of reverence for the Word of God. But here's the thing. The issue here, when they were reading it, they were reading the entire five books from the Old Testament law, reading it out before the people. These people stood six hours in reverence to the word of God y'all ready to do that because that's what they did they stood the entire time while the word they probably sitting there going dude I wish they'd get a speed reader we got to move this along but they didn't do it they would read it slow because they wanted the people to understand the scriptures in their entirety they wanted them to understand what God was trying to teach them now I love this look at verse 6 and with lifting up of their hands and their heads bowed and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In other words, when they completed it, they were face down, prostrate before God, on their faces before Him with arms lifted up. The greatest place of worship we can be is on our face before God. The most proper posture to be before God is on our faces. 
And I love this. With the lifting up of hands. Have you ever wonder why we do that? Oftentimes when we sing songs, you'll see people lift up their hands. you ever wonder what that means? you ever wonder why we do it? It's not just something we do just because we want to do it. We're doing it because what we're simply saying is we are empty and we need God to fill us up. That's what it's all about. God, I'm coming to you empty and I need you to fill me up. What an amazing, could you imagine if God poured down on us like that when we lifted up our hands? Could you imagine if the Spirit of God came down on us when we lifted up our hands? Could you, somebody said this morning they was ready to run in church. Did you know that? I said, so you almost got a little Baptocostal. She said, yeah. I said, I'd have loved to have seen it. You say, whoa, aren't we going a little crazy if we start running in church? I don't know. If you're praising God, I don't think anything's crazy. Man, I'm going to tell you, it was, it's exciting. But here's the thing. They had their hands lifted up because I'm empty, God, and I need you to fill me. But look at verse 7. He says, also, Joshua and Benayin, Sherebiah and Jemim, Akub, Shibathai, Hadajai, Messiah, Kilatai, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. In other words, while the reading of the law was going on, these other brothers were out there trying to help people understand. In other words, as they were all over the place and as they were hearing the law, they might be something that they have questions about. Don't you think that's what's cool about Sunday school? I love Sunday school. I love it. I got to go into another class today. I enjoy going into Sunday school and hearing different ones teach. It's so much fun because guess what? Teachers teach in different ways. But the thing that I love is the fact that in the middle of Sunday school, if all of a sudden one of the people in the Sunday school didn't understand something, they could go, hey, I got a question. And guess what they're supposed to do? The teacher should stop and go, what's your question? How can I help you? What can I teach you? What can I... Now, if that happened in church, we might be in a little bit of trouble. There might be a whole bunch of hands in here going, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. And then, you know, I, I might never get through with my sermon. But you think about it. The idea is to what? These men were sporadically spaced out in case there were people that had questions at that time. They could ask those questions and so that they wouldn't disturb the reading of the law of God, but so that they could get an understanding and grasp God's word. You see, God doesn't, people say all the time, I hear people say this all the time. People will make the statement, they'll say, I don't understand the word of God. Have you ever said that? Has there ever been times where you're reading it and you don't understand it? Somebody has asked me before, they said, what is the best translation of the Bible? You, you ready for this one? The one you read? Because you can have a King James gathering dust and it doesn't do you any good. It's the one you read. Pick it up, read it, know it, understand it. Can I tell you something? I don't speak Shakespearean. So it's kind of hard sometimes. It's kind of hard to grasp. But people, let's be honest, we get caught up in our translations. You know that? We get caught up in our translations because it's just what we've always been taught, not realizing this was not the first English translation. It wasn't. But you see, here's the point. The point is, pick it up and read it. If you don't understand it, you ready for this? The Bible tells us if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you. So before I read the word of God, here's what I pray. God, I need you to give me understanding in your word so that I might apply it to my life and live by it. I need you to teach me. Who better to teach you the word of God than the one who wrote it? And he will, but you got to want it. you got to want it. But verse 8, he goes on, he says, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. They understood it. 
Verse 9, and Nehemiah, which is Tirshaf, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, that taught the people, said unto all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Man, let me tell you something. The word of God is convicting. It's convicting. The Bible says it is a sharp, double-edged sword that pierces between the joint and the marrow, reaches to the heart. Man, the Word of God will cut you up. It will dice you to pieces. It will chop you up, and it will help you realize where you fall short. That's a good thing. That's a good thing that God's Word can penetrate like that, that it can change lives, that it can motivate us to live better lives. That's what he's talking about here. It calls the people to weep and to mourn. They were broken over the Word of God. And when was the last time I, I, I love Brother Ray's testimony this morning? Man, he comes up there in the prayer time. They pick around with him a little bit, but I love it. When he gets started... And when he prays, and he's just weeping, man, I just sit back and I say, man, I want to be like that. That is a man who is just broken, and he knows that God is picking up the pieces. And I love it. I just wonder, when was the last time you wept over your sins? When was the last time you were so broken, you thought yourself unworthy to be in the presence of God? To be honest with you, it ought to happen all the time. There are times I sit back and I say, God, why do you put up with me? Why do you love me? Because I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve you. And yet you still love me. And yet you still put up with me. And yet you still answer my prayers. And yet you still provide for me. Why? God, there's nothing I have to offer you. I am just an empty, broken man. And the Word of God will chew you up and spit you out if you let it. But you know what's great about it? It also puts you back together. It's not going to leave you broken. It's going to put you back together. You see, the great thing is when you fall on your face before God and you weep and you repent, you cry out to God. The Bible says what? If you'll repent, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I'll tell you, a lot of people say, well, you know, when I come to church, I'm supposed to be encouraged and lifted up. I am encouraged and lifted up. I'm encouraged that when I fall on my face before God and I'm broken over my sin, he's not going to leave me that way. He's going to cleanse me. He's going to forgive me, and I can walk out a new man. That's encouraging. That's the beauty of the Word of God. These people were broken, but here's what Nehemiah says, More not, nor weep, for all the people wept. When they heard the words of the law. He goes on verse 10. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, this is a time of celebration. God has cleansed us. God has removed our sin. God has made us whole. We don't need to, re- we don't need to weep any longer. Don't you love that verse that says... Weeping only lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's what he's talking about here. 
Verse 11, so the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. You know what they understood? They understood that God's forgiveness was for the people. Do you realize that God's desire is not to strike you down? There's a lot of cynical people out there that believe that God is just sitting up there ready to strike us down, ready to make a mockery of us. But he's not. His, his desire is to forgive those who repent. His desire is for all to come to repentance so that none perish. That's his desire. His desire is to show love and grace and mercy. But he will be just when he needs to be. Our God knows what he's doing. But they could rejoice because they understood the word of God. They understood that God's desire was to free them from their sins. Nehemiah was resolved to meditate. Secondly, he was resolved to uphold feasts. Look in verse 13. It says, On the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and Levites unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booze in the feast of the seventh month. What feast is he talking about there? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a reminder to them that they didn't have a place to live for 40 years. For 40 years, they wandered in a desert. For 40 years, they were in the desert without homes. So they would build these booths. The Feast of Tabernacle, they would actually go outside the city walls. They would build these booths, and they would live in them for a week. In other words, they kind of go camping. They would build these booths as a reminder of how God provided for them and brought them out of the desert and brought them into the promised land and gave them the blessing he had promised to them. That's what it was all about. And so when you look at this passage, they would have to go back to celebrating these feasts. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like feasts. Anybody in here like feasts? Y'all came for some food tonight, didn't you? Y'all didn't come for Brother Mike. Y'all came to eat, right? I'm just kidding, Brother Mike. Am I? <laughs> I pick around sometimes and, and uh, you know, we have CEO Christians. Did you know that? You ever heard of a CEO Christian? They're Christmas, Easter, and occasional. And the occasion is usually food. All right? But that's the truth. I mean, you look at this. They have these feasts, this feast of tabernacles. They would celebrate God. It was a remembrance of what God had done for them. Man, that's the beauty of it. That's why in a lot of churches they have homecomings. It's to celebrate the beauty of God bringing them together as a church. That's what homecoming is. It's a celebration of when God brought those people together for the purpose of reaching their community. That's a feast. He wanted to make sure they celebrated God's deliverance. Verse 15, it says, And that they should publish and proclaim in all the cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booze as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booze, everyone upon the roof of his house and in the courts and in the courts of the house of the God and in the street and in the water gate and in the street and the gate of Ephraim and all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booze and sat under the booze for since the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, under the day that had not the children of Israel done so, and there was a very great gladness. Man, these booze were everywhere. Everywhere. They set them up all over the place as a reminder of God's deliverance for them. They did this for an entire week. 
and they were great gladness. It says also day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Do you understand that for eight days, six hours a day, they read the word of God? That's revival, right? For eight days, six hours a day, from six in the morning to noon, they read the word of God. They read, get this, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Man, that's probably about how long it was going to take. Well, that's a long time to have to read the word of God. But to be honest with you, some of you, if you're speed readers, you can read the entirety of the word of God in that amount of time. Man, we need to sit down and get serious with God's word. He wanted to make sure that they upheld the feast. He wanted to make sure that they did them properly. He wanted to make sure they did it according to the word of God. He wanted to make sure that they were obedient to the things of God. And that's what Nehemiah recognized. Nehemiah said, you know what? We can build all the walls we want, and we can protect you as well as we want. But I understand that there's a greater protector than these walls. It's the Lord our God. And we need to make sure that we're serious and we're right with God. Because when we get serious and we're right with God, man, then when he shows up, we will always be protected whether we have walls or not. There's a psalm that I absolutely just, I remember the first time I read it, and I thought, man, that is, that is so, so powerful. And it's Psalm 127 and 1, and it says this, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You can set up all the watchmen you want, but if it's not God guarding it, it's useless. That's why Nehemiah understood if we're going to need anything, we need above all things, we need God's blessed hand upon us. My question for you tonight is simply this. What disciplines do you need to resolve in your life? What disciplines do you need to be living in your life? What is it that God is calling you to do? Well, I'll just tell you this. If you're not meditating on this book, this is a start. This is only a start. But it's a start. You may say, well, Brother John, I'm behind on your plan. That don't matter. Just pick it up and read it. Find your own plan. It's not a matter whether you read the plan that I supplied or you read your own plan. It's just that you get in the Word of God and you read it. Even if you only read a chapter a day, get in the book and read it. You just get into the Word of God and you meditate on it. And here's the truth of the matter. If you don't meditate on the Scriptures and the Word of God, how do you know what the preachers are preaching is truth? I've said it all along, man. If, if the Bereans had to check up on Paul, you better check up on me. That just means you have to go home and study what I preached. That works out even better. Man, we need to be disciplined. We need to be disciplined to meditate, disciplined to pray, disciplined to share the gospel, disciplined to serve, disciplined to repent, disciplined to worship, disciplined to fast, and disciplined to give. And there's so many other great disciplines in the Word of God that we need to be participating in. But what is God calling you to do? Where is it in your life that you have to be resolved to change? Last year, I started looking through these things, and I started writing it down. Jonathan Edwards was a guy who wrote his resolutions down, and I said, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to make these little fancy, uh, you know, uh, New Year's resolutions. I'm going to be resolved. And so I began to write these things down. I'm going to be resolved to spend more time in the Word of God. I'm going to be resolved to pray more for the people of the church. I'm going to be resolved to take every opportunity to share the gospel with people. I'm going to be resolved. And I started laying those things out. I said, you know what? Man, if I start doing this, man, God will truly move in a mighty way. 
because I'm here to do whatever God calls me to do. Man, if you start getting serious in your relationship with God, Nehemiah said, we understand. We've got to get serious with God, and we will see God move. How many of you really want to see revival? If you want to see revival, let me just tell you something. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a lot. But I want to see it in my time. There hasn't been a great revival since the early 1900s. We're over 100 years beyond the last revival. I want to be a part of one. I just want to be a part of it. That's all I want. But man, if you want to be a part of it, it will cost you greatly. What are you resolved to do to see God move? Are you expecting great things from God? Are you disciplined enough to do what God is calling you to do?